It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. Teresa, did you do anything fun this weekend or... Well, last week was super fun yeah, getting last, to celebrate yeah. our over 10,000 downloads, I know. which is crazy awesome. So cool. And I had a blast taking the guys out hiking. <laughs> and then trail was super overgrown, yeah. for sure, because that was a real fear <laughs> thing for me. I don't know what it was. And the growling, yeah. it, sound, it did sound like a boar, a wild boar. It but sounded I don't like think a bear, we, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't think we have those in Oregon. I mean, I know we have bear in Oregon, yeah. but I don't... I don't think we have wild boars in Oregon, but yeah, that was, I think that was the best part of, I'd have to say best part of my week. Yeah, for sure. That was fun. And I also have to say that it was fun to have Renee reach out to us on the website. Oh yeah. Um, Cause we're really wanting people to get in touch. That's and so awesome. Chat. I know. And the story that she sent with the woman in Georgia who oh, had yeah. inherited. That was really interesting. So we'll, we'll have to do that as a short coming soon. So yeah, good week last week. I've recently bored everyone I know, and, and I say that because I they've they've admitted to me. I mean, I've said that I know I'm boring you, giving you the cliff notes with this book, and they've flat out said yes, it is boring. But talking about Grandma Dogwood's trek through the Appalachian oh, Trail, I think it's interesting. Oh my gosh, yeah. No. So I am done with the book, and I did tell class they don't have to hear about it anymore. Aww. So they're happy about that. But so the trail, the Appalachian Trail itself, travels through 14 states. I wasn't, I didn't know much okay, about the trail yeah. before this book, anyway, but. It goes through 14 states, you know, crests and valleys with the mountain ranges along the way. And it goes from Georgia all the way up to Maine. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's about 2,200 miles. And the brainchild of a man named Benton McKay, he was a forester who came up with the plan in 1921, shortly after the death of his wife. The creation of the trail is a book in itself, but I love that in 1936, a group of Boy Scouts from New York City oh, and their guides, yeah. I know, very cute, spent 121 days on the newly cleared trail, I think all but three miles of it. So they worked on cleaning it up, and that was funded by a veterans group. So oh, I just that's cool. love all the, the good feelings with that, but... Even more attention was drawn to the trail later when Earl Schaefer of York, Pennsylvania, walked all the way through in 1948. Schaefer was an Army veteran of World War II, and he had lost a good friend in the war. He said they were stationed in the South Pacific, and he would claim later that he hiked the trail in a way to walk off the war, to oh, walk wow. it out kind of the system. Kind of or something? Absolutely. So sad, but it's great that he had the trail. So there was this story in the National Geographic magazine that caught the attention of a woman named Emma Gatewood. Emma, so it goes into her whole story, she grew up sleeping four to a bed. Oh, wow. Oh. With 15 children in her family. Her father was a farmer, but would have he had problems with drinking and gambling, and he actually had to have his leg amputated from a Civil War injury. Oh. So his mom had to take him to a hospital. They stayed there. So a lot of the parenting stuff fell on Emma because his, her mother, Evelyn, was in charge of taking care of the dad yeah. and raising the kids, and obviously she couldn't do both. And with 15 kids, wow. I mean, that just meant they had to, they had to step Everyone up. Everyone had to help out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
So Emma married at 19. The man she met was college educated. He was a primary school teacher and he was a little older than her, 27. And they got married in 1907 and they would have 11 children of their own. Wow. So you'd think with all those kids, they must have a pretty decent marriage. But it actually was a nightmare, and PC was abusive. There were times he'd beat her to the point where she wasn't recognizable. Aww. And he got away with it because of, of the time. Yeah. Not and his connections. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, he was college educated, and the town respected him, and he was the man, and she wasn't doing what she was supposed to or whatever. And so there was even a time that PC had Emma arrested. Oh, Wow. So talk about corrupt. These officers yeah. come to the house and take her away. They For put her, what? He claimed that she attacked him. Oh. So she's put behind bars. When she's taken to the judge to be arraigned, the judge took one look at her with her broken teeth and the bruising that she had, and he knew that she was an abused wife. Right, right. So, But at the time, these men would say that they were going to lock the women up in an insane asylum. I mean, they just threatened them. And yeah. so the women were worried about seeing their kids, and with the threats, they just believed them. So the times, they were just different. But this judge actually saw the risk and basically got him out of there. He helped her find a job. He helped her with a divorce. So he helped her get on the right path. That's great. But Emma ultimately would find peace and comfort in nature. Oh. (laughs) So the book was so hard to put down. It discussed Emma's history and her trek itself with journal entries and other historical findings at the time. She decided at 66, this was in 1954, to attempt the trail since she read that it, it didn't require any special training. And, you know, she thought it, it looked lovely in National yeah. Geographic. Yeah. So she figured she could go out there and do it. Good but after, f- very cute, but kind of naive. After a few days, she had broken her glasses. She got lost. She Aww. ran out of food. And fortunately, the park rangers were keeping an eye on her. They And they talked her into going home. So okay. that, that first round, she didn't talk about. She just didn't tell anybody that she had failed. <laughs> it was a low price go. <laughs> exactly. But she tried it again a year later. This time, obviously, she was a year older at 67, and she simply told her kids she was going for a walk. Now, mind Aww. you, they're adult age children, yeah, sure. but still, she didn't want them to worry about her. Learning from her first attempt, she started earlier in the year. So she started May 3rd, 1955, and she'd finish 146 days later, September 25th, at Mount Katahdin, signing the registry at the top and singing a little portion of America the Beautiful, which I think is adorable. Yeah. To say she packed light would be an understatement. Fortunately, she knew, you know, growing up, she knew how to forage, which totally reminded me while we were hiking, and oh. the guys are picking all the, all the berries. berries. Yes, there were berry berries. It felt like it was lined the trail, which, which is, is pretty yeah, much it was. Which is why I thought there might be bear out there, yeah. because why would they not want the berries too? But she knew how to forage and live off the land between her childhood and the time spent with PC, because they, they hadn't had a lot of money growing up or when she was married. All those kids, how could you you give it to be creative? (laughs) So she planned on utilizing the cabins along the way, so she didn't pack a tent or a sleeping bag even. Wow. It was just a shower curtain to keep the rain off. (laughs) And a few clothes and food in her homemade denim bag, which I think is all sorts of adorable. She did keep a journal, thank goodness. And there was one time she used a fork to comb her hair. I mean, there oh, were probably multiple times. That's just times. like Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remember that? Yes. Probably not quite, but yeah. yes. Yeah, I love um, it. 
She was aided by some young men from New York. She didn't know it, but it, the the young leader was taking these guys from rival gangs out oh. into the wilderness to get them kind of change their path and try to encourage them to make better decisions in life. Oh, that's cool. So Emma nearly killed one of these young guys <laughs> when he helped cross. So she hops on his back and they're trying to cross this fast moving river and he must he said that later in life he would say that her bony elbow you know choking him across his neck as they're trying to get across the river he said it was touch and go he wasn't sure they were gonna make it but they obviously made it and he would later say that he wasn't sure they were gonna survive and i totally i just i picture i can picture this whole scene i love that at 67 this woman headed out in her keds they called it keds they looked like converse but anyway And she just set her mind to the Appalachian Trail. She didn't tell her kids until she was partway through. Right. And even then, it was with postcards, because obviously... That's what she did back then. Her kids knew she was a tough cookie. I mean, they saw everything she went through when she was married to PC. But she still didn't want them to worry. And most importantly, she didn't want them to try and talk her out of it. Right, right. So she wanted to do what she wanted to do. It's really pure crazy when you think about it, but I still admire that she owned that pure crazy. Yeah. Often looking like a lady tramp. Right. I mean, one boy literally called her a lady tramp. She must have been quite the sight appearing out of the woods. Days and days without a shower or, you know, no mirror. Dusty and dirty. Yeah. She hiked the trail again in 1957 and would report then that it was in better shape due to many civic groups. So... Oh, I loved good. reading that she had issue with the rise of the automobile. They were becoming, you know, popular in every home. Most homes had at least one. Right. Some were aiming for two. She just she didn't think it was healthy. She right. thought people needed to walk more. And yeah. experts were noting at the time that it was the automobile was making us soft. We weren't walking anymore. We were just grabbing our keys. And it reminds me a lot of my arguments today with video games right. and just Technology, yeah. yeah, trying to make our lives easier, but really making us very unhealthy. So history repeating itself. In 1959, she decided to walk the Oregon Trail. Oh, cool. Yeah. So at 71, she had read about the Oregon Centennial Exposition. So I guess an expo that must have been out here. And she was walking from... Independence, Missouri, to Portland, Oregon. Obviously, the trail originally didn't go to Portland, but I think this was part of the celebration. She walked the 2,000 miles by herself, figuring if women could walk behind wagons across the Oregon Trail, she could also do the trip. So it took her three months to go from Independence to Portland. She averaged about 22 miles a day, which is pretty dang That's good. That's really good. She said that it was it was harder in ways. I mean, you don't have so much the, the mountainous right. stuff that she had with the Appalachian Trail, but she said it was flat and hot. Okay. Because the roads, yeah, probably just, the heat just yeah. coming off the roads. But when she arrived in Portland, it was celebrated as Grandma Gatewood Day. And I know they had things at Seaside for her to do, things just all down the coast for her to do. So she was quite the celebrity Yeah, when she got here. She'd hiked the Appalachian Trail a third time at 76. This time it wasn't wow. a through hike. Yeah. She hiked it in pieces. She did sections. Also beginning in 1967, she led a, led, excuse me, a six-mile hike through Hawking Hill State Park in Ohio. This was Her last hike was with the group in 1973, and more than 2,500 hikers showed up. She definitely wow. encouraged people to get out of their cars, yeah, put their keys down, for sure. and walk outside. I love that in 1973, she purchased an open-ended bus ticket and visited all the continuous states. 
Oh, just wanted cool. to see the Check country. Check it out. So I'm inspired that this woman walked more than 14,000 miles in her life. The equivalent of more than halfway around the earth is what I read. That's pretty dang impressive in itself. But I'm also just super inspired by her feisty spirit. Yeah. Yes. It, it bothered me she stayed in an abusive marriage way too long. Right. Yeah. But she did finally get out of it. And that's especially impressive considering the era. Right. They oh, just for sure. Put up with a lot. I love that she inspired so many people to get out and hike. Yeah. 2,500. <laughs> <laughs> just on that one day. But, that's, that's incredible. Um, or that one for that year of that hike. Yeah. She even inspired a lightweight rain cape shelter called a Gatewood Cape. Oh. Which cool. I'm most inspired by her drive and fearlessness. And I, I definitely want that. That's awesome. So great book, Grandma Gatewood's Walk, The Inspiring Story of the Woman Who Saved the Appalachian Trail by Ben Montgomery. It just, it was a good read. I know everybody who knows me, they got the cliff notes, so they don't feel like they need to read it, but (laughs) they should. She's awesome. We've been talking about the Olympics the past few I know. It's episodes. been so fun. I know. I don't want to end. I know. We've got a little, maybe, what is it, like another two weeks left or so? Yeah. I thought, although there are just so many people out there that I, I think we're going to have so to do another. Well, there's several, but yes. Well, so I'm loving it. Yeah. Ryan was reminding me of Missy Franklin, the Olympic gold medal swimmer. So I came across her book, Relentless Spirit, The Unconventional Raising of a Champion, which is co-authored with her parents, D.A., Dorothy Ann, (laughs) and Dick Franklin. It's really cute the way it's written because Mm -hmm. the bulk of it is authored by Missy, and then there's these sections that say mom in the heading or dad in the heading, and then they're commenting on the story or situation. And I love reading her first, Missy's parents, you know, have an unusual kind of parenting approach. It really impacted Missy on her swimming career. Mm -hmm. And the book begins with Missy talking about the word relentless and what it means to her. She describes it as being steady, persistent, constant, unyielding, showing no signs of let up or drop off in intensity, severity, and strength. I love that. I I love the one word thing. Yeah, it's um, just on the happiness. Oh, podcast with uh, Gretchen Rubin. Okay. They're big on, on the one word. one word for the year and yeah. using that as your mantra for the year. Oh, that's so really I, cool. Relentless might have to be my next year one. Well, this is definitely her mantra. She writes it on her wrists before competing. She even has a pair of goggles with the word inscribed on the inside. And I love like when she has challenges or hard places, she writes the word down. So it's pretty cool. I can see why this word is empowering. Missy's parents met in Halifax, Canada during college. They had a short courtship, just a couple of months. I think they were a good match pretty early on. Sadly, both came from verbally abusive home lives. Mm. I think that common experience brought them closer together. And it sounds like the rough upbringing also impacted them deeply, that initially they didn't even want children. And also, Missy's mom, D.A., found out when she was 13 that her uterus wasn't um, completely formed, so she couldn't uh, carry a child. Mm. But both her parents had really successful careers. Her dad had a handful of um, Fortune 500 companies, mm. and D.A. is a doctor. Mm-hmm. They were married 20-plus years when D.A. decided, well, I think I want a child. Oh, my gosh. I know. <laughs> and so they went back and forth between adopting and surrogacy, and then... Finally, as Missy writes in the book, (laughs) the stars align, and they met a wonderful family where the woman was willing to put her life on hold for nine months. Which I can't even imagine. That is like truly unselfish gift. Pregnant person on the planet. I I can't imagine doing that for another person. No, and then giving giving that child up. Yeah, yeah. 
I love during the pregnancy, Missy's parents and the surrogate mother exchange cards. I guess during this time, you can go, I don't remember making cards online like it was popular, mm-hmm. like at like Rite Aid or different mm-hmm. places. But they, I guess they did some big card exchange during this period. They, they became really close and forever, you know, grateful to the surrogate. So DA at 45 and Dick at 49 oh brought gosh. Missy home. And her parents were involved. I'm just tired hearing I know. that. <laughs> I know, because it's, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine that. They were really involved, but they weren't helicopter parents. They were supportive of Missy's interests and made sure to be available, no matter how crazy their professional and family lives were. Their goal was not to raise a champion, but raise a well-rounded child, which I so admire. Mm-hmm. I think that's really I mean, all of our goals, but I just love that. Well, probably part of what happens when you wait until you're 45. Yeah, to- you're, you've got that perspective and maturity. Yeah, definitely. Missy loved the water early on, starting with uh, playing the ocean with her dad as a baby. And then her mom took her to baby and me classes as an infant, even though DA was afraid of the water, which I remember doing that with my kids. It's I so taught sweet. those lessons. Oh, you did? For oh. college, yeah. And the thing that's funny is my mom was really afraid of the water, too. So that's why she had us in lessons right. really early on. Young so that we would not have a fear of the water. So, yeah, those but, baby and me classes are so They're cute. so cute. I love that. All the singing. I so did not sweet. have a voice for it. Circle. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so cute. She started swimming at five at the local recreation pool. Lots of friends, parents, fun, just a real community feel, which I think is just like the great place to start mm-hmm. swimming. And she, Missy loves sports. She loved soccer, volleyball, basketball, but swimming by far was her favorite. When she was around eight years old, she told her parents she wanted more swimming and more competing. So her mom looked around and found a place where she could swim year-round. The cool thing is the place they ended up swimming at, Colorado Stars, it's a popular club team in the area, is where she met coach Todd Schmitz, who would later take her all the way to the Olympics. Hmm. So I think that's really cool. He was in his early 20s at the time, and he had a great way of making swimming fun. Once again, their stars, just everything aligning. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah, and he would turn the lights off at night practices and jam the music, which I think sounds fun. Mm-hmm. And then for Halloween, he brought pumpkins in to the pool to kind of incorporate it into the workouts. Sometimes float. They probably float. Yeah, yeah. and they would like kind of carry them mm-hmm. in, the, in the water. I think he knew to make workouts fun, kids would have a blast and just keep coming back. And probably talk to the friends about it. So yeah. So maybe the team would grow. Yeah, exactly. And Missy was soon doing morning and after school mm-hmm. practices. And her mom would chaperone for me to be the <laughs> team mom. And as parents, they were quiet on the sidelines, letting the coaches do their thing. Mm-hmm. Which I think... It's hard to do. It's hard to do and not be a mama bear, yeah. or, you know. yeah. Um, and Missy talks in the book about how cool it was just to form these friendships over the years with the fellow swimmers. They've looked forward to the competitions just to see each other mm-hmm. and, and hang out, which I think, and this is before they didn't have, I mean, she didn't have a phone at the right, time. She right. was, I just think that's cool. Uh, her parents treated her like an adult, always part of the decision process. I admire it in 2009 when World Competition Rome rolled around. Her parents and her coach and Missy weigh the financial costs, the overall experience, and what kind of impact that have on her swimming. And it didn't make sense just to go all the way to Rome for one or maybe two events, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting because a lot of times people just kind of go, f- you know, go well, for everything. you don't know how far you're going to go, so right. that might be it. Be it, exactly. And I'm sure financially they were probably well off enough that but, they yeah. have... 
I just thought it, they, it was Obviously, neat. it was the right decision for yeah. them. They um, decided for her not to compete. They didn't want to rush her. Mm-hmm. And in the end, it allowed her more time in the pool and a chance to participate in the U.S. Open, which is one of the largest competitions for American swimmers. Mm-hmm. And it didn't hurt that she broke her na- national age group records in the 50-meter free, 100-meter free, 200 backstroke, and 200 individual medley. So that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. And you have to remember with the medley, they, I mean, you're swimming butterfly, Fight. backstroke, breaststroke, and free. So you're right. doing all, all of, of it. Yeah. So it is a challenge yeah. for sure. She qualified for the Olympic trials at 13 in Omaha. And her parents' approach was, you know, just to enjoy the moment. Her cousins came to surprise her and watch her swim. They had such fun in the hotel. Um, they got stuck <laughs> in the elevator for several hours. That does not sound like fun. And, and her parents were like, were just like, hey, you know, they were happy for her, even you know, even though she, um, she didn't make the Olympic team, just that she made it to the trials, mm-hmm. which I think is a good approach, just to kind of enjoy it, enjoy it as you go, you know. Absolutely, especially as we're seeing everything with Simone Biles and right. just the, the pressure these these athletes feel. Well, her time came in 2012 at the London Games. She describes the Olympics for swimmers as like the Super Bowl, yet at the same time, it is like any other meet. Missy handled the Olympics like all her other meets on a need-to-know basis. Tell her when the event is, and she's good. Otherwise, there is so much going on, it's so easy to psych yourself out. She let the strategy be kind of handled by her coach, Todd. I thought it was interesting that her coach took Missy for a cup of coffee in the Olympic Village and handed her a piece of paper and wrote down the words, seven gold medals. He said not to freak out. What about (laughs) I'm expecting... No pressure, it, no pressure. That is just a number and you should feel good about. And Missy comments that she never allowed herself to think along those lines. Although she, you know, although she didn't win seven gold medals, she won five and won bronze. So, hey, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. She won five gold medals? Five gold medals. Wow. And one bronze. That's better yeah. than awesome, yeah. And her parents, you know, never focused on the winning, but on doing your best. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's all in her attitude, you know, enjoying the moments along the way, taking some time to read. She got some congratulatory tweets from Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber, which <laughs> I, I don't know if you've seen that Taylor Swift. Um, there's a commercial that's out right now, and she just spoke over it. And it's really powerful. She speaks into the women's gymnastics. Oh, and it's no. really uplifting. And okay, just, I gotta go look you got to check that one out. That but anyways, up. that's a side note. Yeah, her spirit and ability to reflect on the race and just gain that perspective. After the London Olympics, things got weird and wonderful, as she described it. (laughs) Weird? Her mom found someone, a woman, going through their garbage and retrieved an old swim bag and rang the doorbell (laughs) and asked if Missy could autograph it. Wonderful. She'd go into her favorite restaurants and patrons would applaud. Or she got bags of cards addressed to Missy USA, which is pretty cute. She had a small speaking part on Pretty Little Liars, which I've not seen that. Isn't series. that the Reese Witherspoon? I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I've not. Yeah. I've not seen that. And I guess there was a lot of controversy during her senior year in high school. A parent on the opposing team sent a box of cookies that had a note attached that said, "We hope you'll convince Missy not to swim with the team so that other girls will have a chance to shine." Oh my gosh! I'm like, you know, uh. So in the end, Missy did swim. Oh, good, I'm her glad senior she did. year with her friends. I mean, yeah. she wanted. I mean, she, she wanted, worked for it. She, she did it, and she wanted Why to finish would... that journey with her her teammates. Yeah. Why would she not? And have a kind of normal senior year. You Talk know, about a Karen. That is, I know, I'm, total <laughs> Karen. Also, it, it was a real growing period in her faith. 
She'd been attending all-girl Catholic high school, and as she puts it, she was knee-deep into her faith and would go to church by herself a lot of the time. Her parents mm-hmm. were supportive, but they didn't go to church. Her mm-hmm. mom sometimes would go just to keep Missy company. And I love how she describes her relationship with Jesus in the same way she would think of her good friends and in, in how to grow the relationship you need to connect throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And then college rolls around, and Missy looked at USC, Florida, Cal, um, Texas, Georgia, and then she ended up with Cal Berkeley. It just felt right. The swim coach was Terry McKeever, which I'm not familiar, but I think she's pretty well known. (laughs) So it was a big factor, too. And of course, though, the family sat down, they weighed the pros and cons, and you know, made the decision together so methodically. Mm-hmm. I, I find as a parent, sometimes I rush. Yeah. And I just wish I was a little slower at that process. But Weighing I, all, putting everything, all the yeah factors in. Factors in. Yeah. So I really, really respect that. Yeah. So she talks about going to the Pan Pacific Games in Australia. It would be the first time abroad with her new coach, Terry, instead of her uh, hometown coach, Todd. Mm-hmm. And it was nice. Her parents you know, were on the trip, but they hung back as usual. Yep, they were, you know, played a huge supportive role. And she would, you know, draw upon support, like looking up at them from the pool deck, which I think is really, really sweet. Mm-hmm. But during a workout session before competition, uh, Missy experienced this, the worst back spasm. She felt like into like a translate state. The medical team got her out of the pool. She could barely move. They had to get a massage therapist working on her for a bit, and they gave her some medication that would help. You know, obviously medication that's authorized, you know, during competitions. Right. So this is like, she's probably, what, 20 Probably about 20-ish, yeah. yeah. And um, they took her to the hotel to rest. Her parents helped her shower. And she's like, is this really happening to me? You know, I mean, so she laid there for a few days, you know, just trying to will the pain away. I just can't imagine that you're at this level of competition. She finally decided to get back in the water. So it's still excruciating, you know, her pain. Mm-hmm. And her coach arranged for kind of a private time for her to get in the pool, see if she could swim a 1,000 meters, just kind of taking it easy. Mm-hmm. And she was able to swim, so she decided to do her events the next day. And she qualified for Worlds for the following year, which is so incredible, yeah. you know, through the pain. So back home at Berkeley, she went to see a doctor, and after a series of tests, MRI, the, it kind of, the picture kind of became clear. You know, she had minor scoliosis, mm-hmm. which... She knew about, but over the years, that slight curve had caused serious bone buildup in and around her facets, and the pressure was causing all these spasms. Mm-hmm. So she focused on a 12-day rehab, working with physical therapists, a trainer, and receiving cortisone shots, which were approved by the World Anti-Doping Agency. Mm-hmm. She was finally able to get back in the pool, as she puts it, and get and do her thing. Uh, she talks, that was a really hard time. Mm-hmm. Sure, very painful. Very painful. And not knowing when that pain's going to go away. Yeah, exactly. That's the part that's hard. It's hard. And she did, I don't think, she never had a surgery for that. Mm -hmm. Just kind of rehabilitated. She talks a lot about goal setting and chasing them and breaking them. I love that. Yeah. And her parents always encourage her to do the best. And throughout this book, it's always about, at the end of something, did you do your best? Not winning, but Mm -hmm. did you do your best Mm -hmm. given the moment? Which I, I love that. Very admirable. So, you know, she set a goal of a minute 39 for the 200 free at the national championships that year, which is a big deal. Mm -hmm. She'd be swimming against Simone Manuel, an awesome swimmer who held the record at one minute, 40 seconds, three tenths of a second. Is that right? 40. Yeah. yeah, Okay. So Missy totally respects and admires Simone. Um, Missy swam through the pain 
and winning at one point, uh, one minute, 39 seconds and one tenth of a second, which I know these are just like yeah. such close margins. That's how they are, though. Yeah. And I love in the book she writes and references Kelly Clarkson's song, What Doesn't Kill Us Makes Us Stronger. <laughs> yeah. So, but. <laughs> Unfortunately. It's true. And then I have to, she's writing this book as she's preparing to go to Rio, which I think is pretty impressive. Hmm. And so at the Olympics. She had to have just been crazy busy. Yeah. So where did she have the time to. I don't know. Because they finish hmm. up the end of the book after Rio. Mm-hmm. So so she's at, went to the trials in Omaha, Nebraska, and she was having a major panic attack, which I think it happens, yeah. you know. Once again, back we're, to yeah. the mental health issue that right. we're seeing unfold i don't think people realize how the pressure yeah how the much pressure even though they, even though they're capable and they're able to do right. what they're doing but she worked with a trainer to help relax and meditate and again she kept thinking this isn't me <laughs> you know but her parents her sweet parents were you know in, in a hotel room next door and she'd call for hugs her mom had a sleepover a couple oh, times cute. during this after all the stress she did qualify for the real games in 2016 However, Rio was was tough for Missy, and, you know, she kept competing, but she was off. She just did not do how she wanted to do. But I admire that even though she didn't medal individually, she was still cheering her teammates on. You know, and Mm -hmm. getting up in the middle of the night to go, because they they are competing, it's like sometimes in the middle of the evening, you know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. But I I really respect that. And then it touched my heart. I read that during the 4 by 200 freestyle relay, she asked her teammate, Sierra Rungi, I think, who is also a room, roommate in Rio. And they've been teammates back in uh, Cal Berkeley. While on the pool deck, she wanted to, you know, hold her hand. Oh, And I think just to get just support. The bonding. Yeah. yeah. And then she started, you know, crying. And she wasn't sure, you know, if it was pure joy or regret. Mm-hmm. Probably a little of both. A little bit of both. Yeah. Not competing at the level she thought she was expecting of herself. herself, It's probably hard. But I love this. She decided to find a way to grow through this Olympic experience. She kept reminding herself that everyone knows what it's like to work hard for something and not get it. She wanted to be an inspiration in disappointment, which Mm. I think what a statement is Mm -hmm. that. Where's my highlighter? I know. I need to write that down and highlight it. She, she openly talks about praying and feeling abandoned by God. Mm. And then on her plane ride home, uh, she sat next to this young oncologist who didn't recognize her. Like, she's probably in her U.S. gear. <laughs> and they started chatting. After realizing who she was, he kind of apologized. And she's like, oh, no worries. And they started talking. And she said one of her favorite things back home is to go visit kids in the hospital who have cancer Mm. and she was talking about how good it felt just to get outside herself Mm -hmm. and and not focus on the disappointment of the olympics and then she was asking the doctor you know dealing with life and death situations are you a man of faith and he said yeah i consider myself christian and he spoke movingly about his faith and then he asked her you know are you a woman of faith and she kind of opened up and told her about the struggle she had at the olympics how she kind of felt god you know had abandoned her and then she kind of realized, you know, God had sent this kind of oncologist, you mm-hmm. know, and it was really empowering what she needed to hear from moment. somebody, a yeah. stranger. Yeah. You know, I just think that that's how God works sometimes, mm-hmm. you Absolutely. know. But as th- I got to throw this one in. It's kind of an off topic. But as a side <laughs> note, we'll appreciate this when she's back home. But she she already has the Olympic rings on her hip. And for the swimmers, that's just like okay. a right <laughs> passage, you know. Yeah. 
But after Rio, you know, things change. And she started thinking about home and what God means and eternal love. And then she thought about her home in Colorado and the Rocky Mountains, you know, in her backyard, so to Mm -hmm. speak. So this verse from Isaiah 5410, though the mountains may be shaken and the hills may be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And this verse has been just a source of strength for her, which I just think is so awesome. So she had, she worked with a tattoo artist to have the Rocky Mountains incorporated (laughs) in her rings tattoo, which I just kind of think it kind of want to see it now. Yeah, I think it just kind of brings her whole. She retired in 2018 from swimming. Okay. I think she also had some shoulder injury too. But she got married in 2019 to Hayes Johnson, who's also a swimmer, mm. and they are expecting their baby sometime Ooh. this month in August. Oh, so, fun. yeah. But Very I just, cool. I just enjoy reading about her parents mm-hmm. and their just unconventional parenting and how they raised her to be well rounded and how how well it worked. Yeah, I mean, obviously. And then her transparency to share about disappointments because oftentimes we read about the Olympics and we focus on all the glory yeah. and I think sometimes it's. It's really empowering to read about the struggles yeah. and the disappointment. Well, because they all have them, just like we yeah. all have the struggles. And right. Like I was saying earlier, that today has been a really rough day. We need to find some inspiration. But I love that it sounds like she really talked about the hardships. Right. And that's in the hardships, you always know that on the other side is, is something good. Something good, exactly. Believe in the work you do, Missy Franklin. It's funny that you mentioned Rio because I was reading about a young lady, a Japanese swimmer that also swam in Rio, uh, Rikako Aiki. She's uh-huh. from Japan. She was diagnosed with leukemia. She spent 10 months in a hospital oh. getting chemo, was released, started um, competition like three months after she was discharged. Wow. She returned to competition in August of 2020. She's swimming. Oh, for in the relays. Okay. She's, um, I think cool. she she qualified for pretty much everything out of her country, but she once she got there, she she didn't compete to the level she wanted to. want to. Yeah. But at the same time, she's been through That's a awesome. lot. That's so, so awesome. So um, she secured a spot by winning all four of her events at the nationals, Japan's nationals. But she still she has one more relay. They didn't. I. I don't think they won a medal, but they have another relay, like, I want to say July 30th coming up. Okay, cool. So, yeah, she's not only swam in the Olympics, she's beat leukemia, and she's swimming back in the and Olympics. Back to swimming again. Yes. That's so, so awesome. Maybe next to baby for her, too, yeah. so we can see some cute pictures. Fun. It was so cool getting a comment from Max uh, Waisaki on Instagram. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It was so Your cute. water stuff. The water. He commented on ep- our episode 36 when we talked about Scott Harrison and his nonprofit Charity Water. Mm-hmm. Max, now 16, became the Charity Water uh, in 2013 when he was just eight years old. That's just so amazing. So awesome. He has campaigned three times to raise money for clean water. And I was looking at his Instagram account, and I noticed he had a photo with Tony Hawk. <laughs> who also is a supporter of Charity Water. And I just love how the people that inspire us are connected to each All other. All over. In some way. Yes. yes. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of yeah. Tony Hawk. We chat <laughs> about now him. I am, too. We chat about him in episode 18 yeah. where he... And on lots of runs. Uh, yeah, where he <laughs> helped that sweet boy from Georgia 
who asked a FedEx guy to help him send his skateboard to his hero, Mm -hmm. Tony. And the caring FedEx guy helped by posting on TikTok video about this little boy's request. And it caught the eye of Tony Hawk, who responded on TikTok. And then the FedEx guy swapped the boards, which I just love. It's just such a sweet story of kindness. Um, And this Tony Hawk connection continues. I saw this young man, Evan LaLanne, um, who's in a wheelchair riding a motorized skateboard with Tony Hawk on the Ellen Show. Evan, in 2016, fell um, 30 feet after jumping off of, I think his backpack kind of pulled him over the oh. edge. So he fell off Bishop's Peak in San Luis Obispo, California. He broke his neck, his back, a number of ribs, split his sternum, and resulting in See, this was para- paralysis. See, this was skateboarding. Well, yeah. this is, no, this is him hiking. Oh, he, so he, oh he's gosh. in a wheelchair from hiking. But, you know, he says on Ellen, he was pretty positive throughout the whole experience. It was a big deal in the beginning. Like, what it meant to be in a wheelchair was everything that I wasn't, is what he says. And as as I stayed positive and started to push through the challenges in rehab, I found joy almost in mundane tasks. And the progression was rewarding for me. I told myself, why can't I parlay that energy into my real life? Hmm. I just admire that positive yeah. attitude. yeah. Ellen surprised Evan by meeting Tony Hawk on the show. Apparently, Tony Hawk had already seen Evan's Instagram post of him skateboarding, was blown away. Uh, It was so cool. So in the back parking lot of the Ellen show, they filmed Evan towing uh, Tony Hawk. It's pretty impressive because Evan is holding a wheelie where you're, Mm -hmm. so you're on your, the bigger wheel, Mm -hmm. you know, you have, and you're holding that position, balancing on a motorized skateboard as he's trying to carve, so he's, Shifting weight, creating these turns while towing Tony Hawk. The strength. The strength. The upper body. Just the upper body core. And core. All of it. Yeah. yeah. It, it just brought tears to my oh. eyes. But a yet another <laughs> connection <laughs> is um, 13-year-old Raysa Leal, skateboarder from Brazil. Back in 2015, he helped unknowingly discover her when he tweeted a video of her then eight doing a heel fillet. And you're like your skateboard, and you you flip it with your feet, and she's wearing that turquoise dress yes, with wings, with the little yeah. fairy thing. Yes. And I guess oh it just gosh. went viral. Yeah. It's a pretty sweet video, and talk. About, I just love the girl power. Yeah. But she, she's out there doing that in a little fairy, fairy outfit, dress yeah. and just doing very you know tomboy stuff. Exactly, it was adorable, so yeah. cute. And so she's now 13. She just won silver in the women's street skating event in, in the Tokyo Olympics, so awesome. which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And just a quick shout out because uh, Japan's Momoji uh, Nishia won gold and then Funa Nakayama won bronze in that same event, which is awesome. And those girls, Momoji's 13 and Funa is 16. Oh, so, so these are young, young kids. Setting, so, the, young, setting the bar. Setting the bar. So yeah, um, the, there's the governing body for most every other Olympic sports um, has an age restriction, but... Skateboarding does not, which is hmm. so great for these young girls. Yeah. Uh, Inspiring other young girls to do the same. To, exactly. Yeah. So my final connection <laughs> is to 13-year-old. She reminds me of Kevin Bacon. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah. She's 13, pro skater, Sky Brown. She's also an Olympic hopeful. Side note, she did not compete in the street event. She's going to be doing the park event, which oh, I think okay. is happening next week. So I've seen a picture of her. She is adorable. She is so cute. She's been training at Tony Hawk's house due to the pandemic because a lot of skate parks um, have been closed. And it's so cute. On, <laughs> on her Instagram account, she's 
sitting there with Tony Hawk next to her and with this caption, me and Tony Hawk sitting with our boards. I can't stop smiling. (laughs) Tony is a legend. It makes me nervous. Um, It's just really cute. Yeah. So, but um, Sky's dad, Stu, is from the UK and her mom, uh, Mieko, is from Japan. They split their time between Southern California and Japan where Sky was born and where she first learned to skate. Her whole family, including younger brother Ocean, skateboard and surf. And Japan has great surfing but lacks the skateboard culture, so they spend six months out of the year in Southern California. Which has both. Which has both. Yeah, Yeah, so they get both. She started skating, skateboarding when she was about three or four. As she puts it, it was her favorite toy. (laughs) And her dad, when she was five, uploaded a, a video of her skateboarding, and it went viral. Then all of a sudden, they had sponsors and event organizers mm-hmm. reaching out. And at seven, she did her first local contest. And then the following year, she competed in the Vans U.S. Open Pro Series. Three years later, she won the bronze at the World Championships in Brazil and was kind of marked then as a contender for the Olympics. And just recently won silver at the U.S. Dew Tour. And last summer, she became the first woman to land a frontside 540. That is where... A skater and the board spin one and a half rotations midair, which I think sounds super scary. No, so I not sounds. So I decided, it is super scary. So I tried to look it up, and I ended up finding her YouTube video of her doing a seven twenty front side, <laughs> oh which is which is two rotations oh midair. Which and you, and Crazy. I, have, I have to throw this out. She's doing this off a half pipe, so she's up and then oh. off the you know. And I just love her spunky attitude. Yeah. Plus, she has a darling smile. And I love her girly girl style. She sports a flowy black skirt. You know, while mm, she's doing these mm-hmm. amazing tricks, <laughs> which I just think is so cute. So it's ocean and sky. And sky. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and I love this. T- Tony Hawk was saying, you know, while she's been training there, she, in, a, in a three-week period, she learned three new tricks. And what it was impressed with her is that she was willing to try something outside her skill set and, and take direction. Mm-hmm. Sometimes kids don't, but yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. And he... He said, you know, she is already at the top of the women's game, which is kind of crazy <laughs> given her age. And Tony said she's going to be kind of the kind of skateboarder that does what he calls the NDB, which stands for uh, tricks that have not been done before. Mm-hmm. I'm just in awe. Yeah. I just love her. Yeah. Um, Lucy Adams is a pro skater from the UK. She met Sky while competing in 2017 at the women's open street competition. Sky was nine. Lucy's, <laughs> Lucy's 33. Sky finished second. Lucy finished thir- third. Talk about oh, a blow to the ego. Yeah. But Lucy shook it off, and they kept in touch. And she, Lucy's now the chairperson for Skateboard Great Britain, which is the mm. governing body for, um, for the sport in England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. And now she's in charge of putting together this Olympic team for Great Britain and wanted Sky to be a part of it. And although uh, Sky was born in Japan and her family split the time in California, you know, competing for Britain wasn't the obvious choice, but Lucy's kind of laid back attitude was like, you know, you're young. If you qualify, if if you ever want, you know, just go as far as you want to go. And I think her parents felt relieved with that. Taking the pressure off. Take the pressure off. Even if she got all the way to the Olympics and you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. Got a long time. She doesn't have to decide. She doesn't have to force, you know, push herself to, you know, but I thought that was really cool. And then, um, the other thing I really admire about her is that, you know, she really wants to uh, inspire other girls who may think that sport isn't from that for them. You know, you go out to skate parks, you see boys, uh, mm. and she feels that she, girls that may watch the Olympics seeing girls skateboarding, they may want to try it too. Which I think is super cool. Super yeah. cool. If uh, I were a little younger, I would be tempted. I know. I'm too old. <laughs> 
Um, she did have some challenges to overcome before the Olympics when she was training at Tony Hawk's, um, you know, kind of compound thing there. Mm-hmm. She lost control at a vertical ramp and sped off the side and had a horrific fall and sustained multiple injuries, including a skull fracture, broke her wrist oh. and hand. She was unresponsive when she arrived at the hospital by helicopter. See, this is what worries me. I about know. She was lucky to be alive and her yeah. helmet saved her. I'm surprised to read the accident did not affect her confidence. She posted a video on YouTube and commented, this will not stop me. I'm going for gold in Tokyo 2021. Stay strong. Stay positive. It actually made her stronger, and she wanted to do more tricks. She was skateboarding less than a month later, which I'm just amazed. And I admire her parents for, you know, also just keeping her grounded. Like, she does, like, guitar lessons and jujitsu. They try (laughs) to keep regular regular stuff, but... I just think and I guess if she realized, you know what, it didn't kill me. Oh, yeah, I'm going to keep I'm going. now. And the other thing, she has a heart for helping others. And I this really touched my heart. Um, she's been involved with Skatistan for the last five years. It is an international nonprofit organization which empowers children through skateboarding and education in Afghanistan, Cambodia, and South mm-hmm. Africa. And just like in episode 11 where we talked about Melinda Gates' book, The Moment of Lift, education mm-hmm. is the key to ending yeah. that poverty cycle. And this nonprofit combines skateboarding with creative-based education. They focus on groups of children who often are excluded from education and sports. They offer five programs. One is their back-to-school program. They partner with local schools and services in Afghanistan to provide skate school five days a week. And then they cover three grades of public education in 11 months. So it's this accelerated program to Mm -hmm. kind of catch these kids up. Um, Sky has visited their um, program in Cambodia a couple times and talks about seeing guns and trash everywhere, mm-hmm. seeing girls, you know, picking up trash in the morning. And, you know, she was there kind of bonding with them and showing them the tricks. And it, it was kind of fun, you know, just hanging out Which with them. Which is amazing. Them. She's so young. She's so young. such a mature spirit. Exactly. And lastly, she has this cute book out called Sky's the Limit, um, Words of Wisdom from a Young Champion. It's a collection of just inspirational quotes with cute photos of her. I got a copy for my youngest. It's really a sweet book. And Sky is definitely an inspiration. I love her motto, be brave, be strong, have fun, and do it because you love it. She's a dynamo. I admire her positive go-getter attitude and her heart for others. And I love her never quitting no matter what. And I admire her parents' support of her, you know, while trying to keep her a regular kid. I can't wait to watch her now. Yeah, she's darling. As we try to get to know each other a little better. (laughs) So I've got a couple questions for you, Teresa. Who would play you in a movie of your life? My kids say all the time, Jess, who is played by Zoe Deschanel. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if that's how you say her name, Deschanel. Yeah, Um, uh, I can see that. With New Girl. Okay. Because I can't sing, though. I think just the quirkiness and just the... Yeah, so I think they, yeah, probably. I'd have to say her. Which fictional character do you relate to most? Um, well, Ridley, I'm probably going by TV. Yeah. Leslie Nope. They also oh. compare me to Leslie Nope. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm embarrassed. I don't know who she is. Um, Amy Poehler. Oh, yeah. Okay. In, uh, okay. Parks and Rec. Okay, so I've not oh seen gosh. Parks and Rec. Yeah, so my kids have seen it, and it's funny because, like, my daughter, um, when she went to freshman year in high school, she felt like, I need to see all these because I need to have conversations with yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> 
catch up, which is, okay. it, I, I totally okay. get that because yeah. with classes, I, I wouldn't understand what people were talking about. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but, and Chris Pratt was in that show. Oh, okay. Which he, yeah. Yeah. Totally different. I have to watch that. Him. I'm yeah, so pretty yeah. cute, but she's very, you know, she wants the best in the world. And, and my kids think that sometimes I'm very naive in, in how I look at things. And yeah. it's not that I don't know that there's awful out there. It's just that. I feel like I am like Leslie that instead I want to focus on the other. Right. What's your most controversial opinion about something mundane? Pizza should be eaten with a fork. (laughs) I eat mine with a fork sometimes too. (laughs) My family gives me serious... Well, there's a lot of finger food that I feel like needs to have utensils and not... Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. How about midnight snacks? Ice cream. Mm. Ice cream is my chocolate. Yeah. Anything chocolate, yeah. ice cream is fudge sickles would be my downfall. And how about what's the first thing you wanted to be when you grew up? Police officer. Oh, <laughs> I'm surprised at that one. <laughs> I still want to be one now yeah. at times, but I, I know that I probably couldn't. I put a limit on anything. The more you dream, the farther you get. Michael Phelps. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.